pretty cool. Well, it is cool. It's kind of looking at but anyway, uh, I'm always honored uh, when, when I'm given the chance to, to be up here. Um, if you've been here a couple times when I have had the opportunity to be up here, uh, I've tended to, because it's kind of hard, I always kind of talk about this, I mean, it's kind of hard just to grab one thing uh, and, and speak on one thing because it, it, it seems uh, like you can never really do justice to a text if you can't just really dig into the, to the nuts and bolts that precede and all that kind of stuff. So I've been grabbing parables and walking through parables together with you guys, and, and that's what we're going to do again today. This one is a little different, and uh, it's in Luke 16 if you want to uh, go ahead and, and turn there. And uh, it's, it's called in, in different Bibles, you know, the little, te- the little uh, titles that are up there are not inspired, okay? They're, they're added by the, the, the editor. And it's t- typically called the, the parable of the dishonest manager or the, the in, in some I've seen the parable of the shrewd manager, which probably is not, I mean, it's accurate, but not doesn't do the, the full thing. I, I would call it the parable of the bad manager and his bad boss. Uh, so it's, it's really kind of a, it's really kind of an interesting one. It can be confusing. Uh, if, you've ever, if you read this one, you can kind of get dig into it, and it can get a little confusing at times. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we go along, but some couple of things that we need to know really first before we, we get into it, that the approach on this, this parable has to be a little different. The way that we start digging into this thing, typically, like a, a few weeks ago, I was able to, to uh, be up here, and we did the parables that Jesus told while he was at uh, lunch at the leader of the Pharisees' house. If you were here, you might remember that. And in each one of the parables that he told there, there was like a good guy and a bad guy or somebody doing something wrong and somebody doing something right, and you could draw comparisons between those kind of things. In this parable, it's not like that. Okay, there's, there's not like a, a, some sort of a metaphor uh, for God in this thing and some sort of a metaphor for us, those kind of things. It's, it's, it's not there, okay? And, and so we need to kind of know that. Um, and, and the example, too, in the, of, of the exact same kind of thing is, is the parable Jesus told right before this parable, which is the prodigal son parable. If you look back just one, one chapter, that's the prodigal son thing. And we know we have two sons there that, quite frankly, both needed to repent. One was, was externally uh, uh, on his, went on his own, turned, turned his back, and the other one was a blatant legalist. And they both needed to repent. And so, and we see the father there who loved both of his sons and just wanted them to repent and be part of his home, would be part of his household. So, I mean, that one kind of, you know, we can fit the pieces in on that one. This one, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it and, and look at it. Um, uh, it. It quickly becomes obvious that this is not that kind of a parable, though. Um, some... I've read some commentary on this, and some would say I'm not looking deep enough because some commentaries kind of dig into some of the weeds of, of some of this stuff. And I, I tell you, I, I, I just don't think that, I think I'm doing exactly what the text wants us to get, okay? That's where, that's where I think I'm at with this. Because in, in, you have to remember, one of the first things that you always want to do when you're looking at a parable is, is know who's the audience, who, who is going to be listening to, to this parable? 
And in this case, it's in, it's in, the, first, it's in the first line. And let me get to it since I'm at the call to worship text. Uh, it's in the first line of the first, of the first verse of chapter 16. He also said to his disciples. So immediately we know that the disciples are the, are the audience for this. Now if we go down to verse 14, and we're not going to talk about this much today, but if we get down to verse 14, you also see that the Pharisees are kind of listening in. Okay, that's, that's just a, a little side note. You know, it's not just he and his disciples there. I don't know exactly where they were, but it's clear from, from this text that, that the Pharisees were also kind of listening in which is interesting in and of itself because if you work through the book of Luke, which, again, that's, it's, it's almost sad that we, we haven't done that, but if we work through the book of Luke, we find out there's a place where Jesus kind of pivots and he, he stops being confrontational with the nation of Israel. He stops being as confrontational with the Pharisees. He stops being and turns his attention to those who are following him. He turns his attention to his disciples. That happens just, I think it's uh, chapter 13 is where where that that occurs, where Jesus laments over Israel and then focuses on his disciples. So that is is kind of where we're at historically in this text while Jesus was here. We're after that pivot, and he's really focusing on his disciples. Now, we also have to think about who the disciples were, okay? Now, I know we, we think about them as the apostles, but how do I say this nicely? This was, this was pre-apostleship for the disciples. Uh, Pentecost had not come, and there, were, there was no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So these guys were just guys at this point in time. And I, I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory way. I just mean they, they had not been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There wasn't the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives unless it was a temporary thing that, that Jesus did in teaching them when they would cast out demons and, and those kinds of things. So we have the apostles, or excuse me, the, the disciples there. And let's go back a little bit further in the history of the disciples. What were they before they were disciples? Fishermen, for the most part. Fishermen. Now, quickly... In this, this time frame, a young boy, 8, 10 years old, I think it was, would go to the church and work at the synagogue there with the, the, the leaders there, the, the Pharisees at the synagogue, and they would, they would observe them, and they would teach them, and they would have some rudimentary training in the Torah at that point in time. And they would get this training along the way, and the, the priest or the rabbis would pick out this guy's pretty sharp. This guy needs to go get a job. Okay? I mean, that's kind of the way it was. And they would take the cream of the crop and send the other guys back home to learn the trade. Okay? Recognize these disciples were the guys that had been sent home. Okay? And they went. They learned a trade. Uh, like I say, we had a lot of fishermen. Uh, you know, you got to think Matthew was pretty sharp. He was a tax collector. Okay, I mean, that, you had to be pretty sharp. Luke had to be reasonably sharp. He was a doctor. I mean, that's a, it's a, that's a different term back then than it is now. And Andrew Hodges is a doctor. He ain't that smart. But, uh, 
<laughs> I always throw one at him every, every weekend. Uh, uh, but at any rate, I mean, it, it's, it's a different thing back then. A doctor back then and a doctor now, it's, 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 there's, there's no comparison. But anyway, here's, here's you got Luke, you've got these guys, and they're just Joes. They're just, just, they're just normal Joes. So I'm going to say that Jesus is not going to hide things in, in the teaching that he is doing with these disciples because he knows they're not the brightest bulbs in the box. I mean, you agree with that? It's, it's like you've got to be pretty straightforward with these guys because, I mean, guys, I love Peter. He is one of my favorite apostles. But wow, what a ding-dong he could be at times, right? I mean, he would just really just run into it. You know, it's like he had no, 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 you hear the people say he has no filter. I'm pretty sure Peter would have been described pre-apostleship as a guy with very little filter, okay? But you got to love a guy like that because he's what? Passionate. I mean, he was passionate about things. So there's, there's the other side of these guys that certainly make up for any lack of acuity we might accuse them or I might accuse them of having because they were passionate. They were guys that, that went, what they did, they did well. And you, 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 you see that about them throughout, throughout the New Testament. So, uh, enough, enough of my look at that. But the, uh, we also know, like I said, that the Pharisees were sitting close by and kind of listening in, even though at this point in time they had largely been ignored uh, by Jesus for the last little while. So let's keep this in mind, and then we'll, we'll finally read the parable. Uh, so let's keep in mind that this parable is teaching to everyday followers of Christ, and that while Christ was, was teaching this parable, he knew the Pharisees were listening in. Okay? That's, just, that's our audience. That's who's sitting there when he starts to talk about this. So the last thing, and then we'll read the parable, okay? We're, we're getting ready to talk about money. I told Nene this a little while ago. Uh, we're getting ready to talk about money. So anybody that needs to suddenly have a, a stomach virus, or something, and you, you can go ahead, okay? But hear me also when, when, what I'm saying. We're going we're gonna to talk about money because Jesus talks about money. We're going to talk about money because the Bible's full of talk about money. But hear me when I say that we are not about to start a fundraising, okay? We're, 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 not, we're not starting a building fund. We're, we're not putting a thermometer, I promise, as long as I'm an elder here at this church, we're not ever going to have a thermometer <laughs> at, at the front of this church, okay? Uh, we, we're not, you know, the church is in, is in good financial condition, okay? We're, we're not saying, hey, we need more money for this or that. If you're hearing me say anything that he's asking for us to step up the giving, that's not what I'm doing today, Okay? We're, we're, we're good. You guys have been faithful. I mean, this, this church has, has never, ever lacked the ability to, to pay our bills and, and to take care of the pastor and, and those kind of things. It's, this is, we're, we're good, okay? So, so please don't hear me. If it, I, I, that, and here's kind of the, the bottom line. I don't want to sound harsh. And please hear, please hear my heart in this when I say this. I really don't care about your money. Okay, I, I, I really don't care about your money. And, and I, 
I think, I, I can't speak for the other guys on our leadership here, but I think they'd tell you the same thing. We, we, we really don't care about, what we care about is your heart. Okay? That's, that's where we are with this. This is, the scriptures are really clear that money tends to give us a looking glass into our own hearts. And that's the only reason we're talking about money now, okay? Is because our hearts are what is important. Our hearts is where all the rest of this stuff comes forth. The, the Holy Spirit indwelling my heart and, and knowing that, that God has done everything he's done for me gives me great gratitude. Out of that gratitude comes a heart to want to do things. And part of that is I give, Okay? It's not, I'm not trying to get in your pocket, but I do want to get to your heart. Okay, hear me on that. Um, let's read the parable finally. And uh, we'll read 16, 1 through 13. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. All right. And then we hear something really, really, really interesting. Because the manager, um, I, I don't know what you would call him, but you, you guys figure out a word. And the manager said to him, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. So you've got this manager. We'll stop right here for just a minute. You've got this manager here who, the best I can understand from what Jesus was, I think, saying here, he had always worked for this same guy. Now, a manager in this circumstance would have lived in his household. His family would have been there. The, 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 the master of the, of the household would have been responsible for taking care of this guy, taking care of his family, giving him a place to, to sleep, eat, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he, he would have been living there with him. So what he had just heard from his boss was, you're getting ready to lose your income and your place to live and the food for your... You see, this is the level of of basically devastation that was being levied upon this manager who had been bad at what he was supposed to have been doing. So let's, let's see how this guy decided what he needs to do. He said, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So... Summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. All right, I'll convert that best I can. A hundred measures of oil. You get 150 olive trees. Uh, harvest the fruit. Press the, press the olives. And you would get about a hundred measures of oil. About 150 uh, olive trees. It's a pretty, pretty sizable debt that he had because that would have been my, everything I read said somewhere between a year and a half and three years salary. So that's, that's a significant debt that he had. 
And he said, uh, let's see here, he said, a uh, hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take out your bill and sit down and quickly write 50. So he just cut his debt in half. Just said, that, wipe it away, 50. And then to another, he asked, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. Now, once again, best I'm able to understand, about a hundred acres of wheat uh, would give you about a hundred measures uh, of wheat. So that would be more like a decade of salary. So this is a much larger debt than, than the first guy had. So let's listen to what he does for him. He said, take your bill and write 80. So he just, just cut his bill by a full two years of, of uh, salary. Now then, here at verse 8 is where we can get a little confused. Because an interesting thing happens at verse 8. Let's read. The master evidently caught wind of what was going on. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, this guy's shady, would you not agree? I mean, he, he is going out and forgiving debt, but he's not forgiving debt owed to him. He's forgiving the debt owed to the guy, his boss. And, it, and, it, and the same thing, he, he does this twice in this parable. And so this guy is really, really shady, and he's actually taking money owed to the boss and, and, and doing away with it. And the boss then comes in and says, that's pretty good. That's, I commend you for your shrewdness. Now, he did not commend him for his honesty. I mean, we pick up on that pretty quick. But he commended him for his shrewdness. And here this guy was, basically forgiven this debt and this debt. And then so what happens when I'm kicked out? I'm out. I can show up on your doorstep. You remember that debt I forgave? I forgave? I think I'm going to live with you for a while. I mean, he's going to call his marker due. So, shrewd? Yeah. Honest? No. It's, 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 but then he gets commended by his master. In other words, hey, you know, that's, that's like the guy that, that, that beat you in one-on-one and he did something that you just really weren't expecting, and you just go, you know, great move. But this is, this is somebody else's money that we're talking about. This, this is, this is in, in short, how do, how do I, I'm trying to think. This is not one of those parables where we, we say, go and do likewise. Okay. This is not, that's not what this is. We can't, basically you have one inscrupulous businessman commending another inscrupulous businessman, okay? And, and the manager, having done this, his boss is saying, I, you can hear 
you know, he commended him. You hear a little second thought, you know, if this guy's this good, maybe I ought to hang him around. I don't let him touch my money but anymore. But, you know, if he's, gonna, if he's, if he's this shrewd, maybe I ought to hang on to him. But if you think this part of it is a little confusing, let's go to the second half of verse 8. And here we go. I'll read the whole thing. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now what has happened here, I believe, is that Jesus has kind of stepped away from the story just a little bit, stepped away from what he was talking about of this manager's commendation of, uh, I mean, excuse me, the master's commendation of his manager, and he's kind of stepped away, and he said, it makes, makes a, a, a little commentary. Let's, let's read it one more time. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. What Jesus has just said is that those outside of the light are better at dealing with those also outside of the light than the people are in the light. And it's like, what? What? But is that not true? Is that not true? Those outside the light tend to be better dealing with people outside the light. And those of us in the light tend to not be so. And I think Jesus is saying, and that ought not be. We ought to be able to deal with the people. We'll, we'll get into this a little, little later as to how this all shakes down. I know, it's, I know it's a little confusing for you right now. And some of you are going, eh, I'm not sure he's on point. Just hang on with me, okay? So let's keep reading. And he says, this is verse 9, and this is where we, we start to see what his ultimate uh, reason for telling this story. And I tell you, make friends for yourself. This is, this is, again, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. Make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. Does that, that sound like a statement Jesus would make? Let's do a little bit of defining some terms here because I think that's the key. We need, in the, the, the imperative of this sentence, make friends by means of unrighteous wealth. Uh, this word unrighteous could also be tr uh, translated untrue, okay? So false, false wealth. Uh, in other words, I mean, the Bible's real clear that it defines wealth in different ways than, than we're going to define wealth. We're not talking about capital. We're to, the Bible speaks of, of righteous wealth as our inheritance in heaven, correct? That is the things that, that, that the Bible identifies as true wealth. In this, he's saying, use your unrighteous wealth to make friends. Use your cash. Use your money. Use your stuff to make friends in this world. That means generosity. If we really truly look at our bank account is a bank account given to us by God 
for his glory, and it's not ours alone, then we should be able to look at that as means by which we can bring glory to God by doing generous things with it, correct? I mean, this one gets really, really, doesn't it get really up close? He's saying, use your stuff, use your capital, use your money, make friends out in the world. And the whole goal on this, as we'll see, is actually an evangelical emphasis of bringing people close that they might hear the gospel. This, use your stuff, use your, use your, 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 your house, your car, your, your money, your, your, your capital, whatever that is, whatever's there, use it to make friends in this world. Use it to make close friends. Use it to, to bless, your, bless the people around you. Show the glory of God. Show the glory of, of, of what God has done in our lives by generosity. This is a parable not so much about money. It's a parable so much about being generous with the things that God has given us in the first place. And through that generosity, people are drawn. I mean, who's not drawn to a person who's generous? Who's not drawn to the person who's generous with their time? Who's not drawn to someone who's generous with, with their stuff? Who's, uh, and I am terrible at this. Can I just say that? There's another person in my family that's really good at it. We went away for the last weekend. I mean, this is, the, but this is the, the, exactly what Jesus, that's, you've heard Stephen say so many times, anytime I do this, I'm preaching as much to me as I'm preaching. That's where I am with this, okay? This one's really hitting home for me. It actually kind of steps on my own toes, is that generosity is not an option. It's an imperative. Generosity, and, and listen, listen to the rest of this, because it's incredibly interesting. He says, he says, uh, duh, duh. Let me go back. Make friends uh, for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Now listen to this next section of this. So that, this is the reason you do that, when it fails, they may receive you into the in eternal dwellings. Again, it's th that's the evangelical emphasis that I'm talking about. But also I want you to notice something that says when it fails. It doesn't say if it fails. And I, I will... Submit, there's about three ways that our unrighteous wealth fails. One is it disappears. And what I mean by that, we've probably all had that moment where we looked in our checking account balance and it was far less than what we thought it was. Just go. I mean, it, the, the, we may have all had this circumstance where we think about the money that we've made over the past four years and we wonder where it went. It just disappears. It's gone. Or, you know, the stock market crashes or, or uh, you know, the, 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 your business goes bankrupt. Or, you know, there's many ways that our unrighteous wealth can, can disappear. And, and, and one of the ways is, is through calamity. You know, somebody gets sick, somebody gets hurt, can't work. Those are the means by which our unrighteous wealth, our stuff, our, our, our cash, if you will, can disappear. The other way... And, and, and you may think this a little odd, but think about it with me. You get so much, it just doesn't matter anymore. I, I don't know anybody like that. Uh, they just have so 
much that it just really, they have so much money they can buy anything they want. And that you get the book of Ecclesiastes out of that, Solomon. You know, he, 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 tells, he tells it, you know, I had so much, I got, I had so many horses and I had, you know, so much food and I had everybody in and it was a party and we didn't just hire a band, we bought a band. And, you know, I mean, it was, it was this humongous party at Solomon's place for I don't know how many years. And, and in the end, what did he say? Vanity. It is all vanity. So our unrighteous wealth can fail us by disappearing, and it can fail us by we get so much that it, it doesn't really matter anymore. And the last one, I think it's the one that affects the most of us, is we die. There's no buying your way into heaven. My brother-in-law, I, I love him to death, and he likes to say, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the old saying, you can't take it with you. I mean, you die, and it just, quite frankly, it doesn't matter anymore. You can have all the wealth in the world, and then you die, and now somebody else has your wealth. It just, that's the, that's the three ways that I can think of that our unrighteous, our untrue wealth fails us. So in this parable, he says, or in his, when he actually goes into the teaching portion of it, he says that so when it fails, they, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. So when it fails, not if it fails, when it fails, the people that you have made great friends with, the people that that you have led to Christ through your through uh, friending them through your generosity, all those things, those people will be rejoicing when you get to heaven. See, the economy is altogether different. The economy is not about how much cash I can put in my pocket. The, the, the economy is what can I do with God, with the things that he has entrusted to me. Jesus is not at all saying, go out and buy yourself some friends, okay? He, he, that's, that's not what this is. Um, he's not saying, go out and buy yourself some friends. He's saying, just have a generous spirit where your, your friends want to be around you, where you, people see and they think, well, you know, not that's a great guy, but what is it about that guy that makes him so generous? What is it about that person? Again, the, the, the lady that I went off last week with, we can't drive down the streets of Nashville, okay, because in Nashville there's these guys selling these newspapers. You guys know, you guys been up there and know, know what I'm talking about. There's these, they're, they're, it's, it's, a, it's an organization for the homeless, and they sell these little newspapers. And I think they're a buck or two bucks or something like that. And one of us will give them 20 bucks and then give them their newspaper back. Okay? Because it's about that. What is it about that in a person? I want to be close to that person. I want to be with them. I want, I, want to, I want to know them better. And what it is about them that makes them so generous. That's what God is calling for us to do. I need to move on. If, if we look at this, we see that God is not calling for 
us to give alms to the poor. That's a, that is in Scripture, okay? I'm okay with alms for the poor. But what God is calling to us for, to is an overt generosity that has nothing to, be, nothing to do with a person's state in life. It has everything to do with what God has, is doing in our own hearts, okay? Okay, I got ahead of myself. All right. These last couple of verses will kind of nail down our understanding, hopefully, of what this, of what this parable is all, all about. And we'll work through that uh, somewhat quickly. Verse 10. Your, your, your Bible like, may be like mine. It gives a paragraph here, and I think it's appropriate because this is kind of a change in thought. This is Jesus going into more of an explanation of, of what he has just been talking about. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you, excuse me, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what, uh, in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? We'll hold a verse 13 here in just a, in a moment. There's just so much wisdom here, and I just, I feel compelled. You know, I look around the room, and I'm one of the older guys here, okay? And, and, I, and I know that. You, nobody needs to remind me of that. Uh, but, I, but, I, but I know that. And let me, let me, let me just say, say, you know, there's so much, so, so, so much wisdom in this. And this really, I want to talk to you folks who are a little bit younger. You know, you guys and ladies who are, you know, maybe in your 20s, 30s, even early 40s, something like that. Let me... Let me let me just kind of say some truth. Don't 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 hurt me afterwards. If you're if you're making forty fifty thousand a year right now, okay, if that's 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 right right where you're. I mean, you may be making a lot more than you go. Okay, that doesn't apply to me. But if if that's what you're making and you're struggling to to make ends meet, and you've got more debt than you should, and you're, uh, you know, it's just from a financial perspective, you would call your circumstances difficult. What do you think would happen if, if we tripled or quadrupled your income? Most of us would say, I'd be, I'd be on easy street, right? But the statistics are not with you. Most times when our salary changes, we change right along with it. And we can be making 200000 and we still have too much debt, and we still sometimes live month to month, and we still are not able to do the things for the kingdom that, that are being talked about here. So my point in that is not to get on your case. It's just to say, always look at your circumstances from God's perspective and not just how much stuff can I get on my salary? Can I get a bigger boat? Can I get a bigger house? 
just look at yourself from look at your circumstances from God's perspective. That's just wisdom from the scriptures that I can say it has been lived out. I believe what Jesus is teaching here is that many of us live our lives without any thought whatsoever about standing before God at some point in time to give an account of the things that he has given us. Wow, it's quiet. Yeah, I think we sometimes get caught up in living our lives like people of the world instead of people in the world. And so often we, you know, at some point in time, I will stand before God and I, and, 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 and I will give an account of my leadership here. I will give an account of how well I take care of my wife. I will give an account of how well I taught my kids. I will give an account of the things that I did with the, 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 as a steward of God's resources. I don't know what that looks like. You'll have to ask Steve. Okay, I just know it's in the scriptures. And I don't know the exact description, but I know it's there, and it says one day we will give an account. And so, all I am going to say to you, and as I say this again, I say this to myself as loudly or more loudly than what I'm saying to you. Think about it. Think about it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love your word, and we love what your word says most of the time. Uh, Lord, I know this is a hip pocket kind of verse, and I'm not sure why you wanted me to do this. I trust you in it. And I pray, Lord, that you will help each one of us as we leave here today to think about our lives from the perspective of where it is, what's, what's going on, how we make our decisions, how we make our finances, the things that, that our finances are, and how we go forward. For those of us that need to repent, Lord, may that come quickly and easily, and may it be celebrated by all of us around. Those of us that need help, Lord, uh, may that be celebrated by someone being honest. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you'll, give us, you'll give us all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Mike's going to play. And then-